Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, I'm Hadley Heath Manning, Policy Director at Independent Women's Forum and your host for today's Working for Women podcast. Today I'm joined by IWF Legal Fellow Erin Hawley, and we're going to be discussing an upcoming Supreme Court case called Janus versus American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Workers for municipal employees, excuse me. Erin has written a legal brief for IWF on this topic and it's available online at iwf.org for those of you who wanna dig in deeper to this subject. Um, the oral argument for the Janus case is coming up on February 26th. So I wanted to sit down and chat with Erin um, and get a preview of what we should expect in this very important case. So thank you, Erin, for joining us today. Absolutely, delighted to be here, Hadley. So first of all, maybe just give our listeners an overview of the Janus case and what issues, uh, what legal issues are are at stake here. For sure. So to understand sort of the the real heart of the case, we have to go back about 40 years uh, to a Supreme Court decision called Abood. Uh, And in that case, in Abood, the Supreme Court held that states may force public employees to their own employees to pay dues to a public union even if they are not members of that union, and even if they disagree uh, about the policies and politics of the union. So for example, uh, in this case, the plaintiff in this case uh, suffers under just such a state law. Uh, He's a public employee. Uh, Mark Janice is a child support specialist for the state of Illinois. He is not a union member, does not want to be a union member, uh, but the state of Illinois has forced him to subsidize union activities. He pays about 80% of the full union dues, even though he's a a non-member. And Mr. Janus argues that all of the the public uh, bargaining activities that the union participates in support uh, purportedly, you know, on his behalf are things that he fundamentally disagrees with. Illinois is in the face of a budgetary crisis and the union is advocating for increased uh, pensions, uh, increased pay, uh, a lot of things that will impact the public budget. uh, And Mr. Janus disagrees uh, with all of this but that doesn't matter. He still must pay and support the union activities uh, and has absolutely no say in the matter if he wants to keep his job. So I was was looking for some information about this case and I ran across a Washington Post opinion piece um, that actually called the Janus case the biggest labor case of the century. So I wanted to get your opinion, Erin, if that's an accurate, uh, you know, name for this case, the biggest labor case of the century. Um, What would be the effect of a ruling either way for labor unions and for the employees they claim to represent? Would it really be uh, life-changing for them? So I I think that that the first part of that question is is certainly true, that this is the biggest labor case of the century, or at least certainly one of the biggest labor cases of the century on two different fronts. Uh, And the first uh, front is sort of the principal front or the the constitutional principle that is at stake. So the First Amendment uh, protects uh, bedrock principle, as the court recently said, that except in the rarest circumstance, no person may be compelled to subsidize speech by a third party that he or she does not wish to support. So here in America, it's sort of fundamental First Amendment law that you have a right to speak but you also have a right not to speak and not to be forced to pay for someone else's speech with whom you disagree. But that's exactly what's happening here uh, to Mr. Janus. So this Abood case we mentioned compels non-union members to pay for speech on a whole host of political issues about which they disagree. 
And this is simply inconsistent with our constitutional principles and should be reversed. So it's fundamental on that front. It's also fundamental on the practical front. Uh, today, nearly 5 million public employees are required, again, as a condition of employment. If Mr. Janus wants to keep his job, then he has to pay these union fees. They're required to subsidize the speech of that union on matters of public policy. So this is 5 million people who are, are required to pay for speech in order to keep their jobs, even though they mis may disagree with that speech. So it's so very important on, on these two fronts. And then to get sort of to the practical effects on the employees and on the unions, I think we have two very different sort of interests at stake. The first one, as I just hinted at, is sort of the constitutional interest. So for each of these employees, I think the importance of a win here for Mr. Janus really can't be overstated. It's their fundamental right not to speak and not to pay for speech with which they disagree. So very important to Mr. Janus, very important uh, to other uh, non-members uh, of unions who are forced to pay for that political speech with which they may disagree. Now, the, the question is more complicated when it comes to public sector labor unions. They are very much um, challenging uh, Mr. Janice's uh, position here and very much arguing that Abood should remain in place. Um, but a loss here might not mean the disaster for public unions that they actually claim. Uh, the Supreme Court recently pointed out in a 2014 case uh, that there are many public sector labor unions um, that uh, survive in right-to-work states and also in different parts of the federal government, even though uh, there's no uh, sort of forced compensation or forced uh, membership fee uh, on these non-members. So, and this is primarily because uh, public sector unions, in addition to being able to require non-members like Mr. Janus to sort of fork over part of their salary, they also are given the right of exclusivity. So these unions have, have a lot of sort of power even aside from uh, the sort of compelled contribution uh, component. So I don't think it's true that the public sector unions would just disintegrate uh, in, in all of the states as they currently exist uh, without this forced contribution requirement. Now, my next question is a tricky one because I, I know people, legal analysts, don't like to hear this kind of question, but uh, can we read any tea leaves about how the justices will rule in this case? Do you have a crystal ball or can you tell us at least <laughs> if there's any any hints from other rulings or the disposition of uh, various justices who sit on today's court? Um, do we know anything about what to expect? Um, and when when should we expect the ruling? This summer, I presume? This, those are all great questions, and to address the last one first, yes, definitely this uh, summertime sometime um, before the end of June. Uh, the case could come out as soon as a month after it's argued, but in a case of this nature, you're almost certain to have a dissent, so I would expect the decision sometime in June, probably toward the latter part of that month, um, before the court adjourns for uh, the summer session. And uh, as you mentioned, it's, it's always quite risky uh, to predict a Supreme Court opinion uh, and no crystal ball here. But I think on this question um, of overruling Abood uh, and the question of compelled speech here, we actually have some really prescient data points. Um, I already mentioned the 2014 case, Harris versus Quinn. And in that case, the Supreme Court actually looked at the Abood sort of public sector union arrangement and its requirement that non-members contribute to the union, and they refused to extend that to sort of quasi-public employees. And in doing so, they actually gave no less than six reasons why Abood was sort of fundamentally flawed and why it shouldn't be extended, uh, but also why it seems like, at least in the majority's opinion, 
that there were some some very serious doubts about the Abood ruling itself. Um, and I think a couple of those grounds deserve a little bit of attention. Uh, one of them uh, was that uh, the Abood court decision rested sort of on the idea that it wasn't fair for non-members to kind of piggyback uh, upon the uh, oh the negotiating uh, and all the sorts of public uh, bargaining that the union participated in. Uh, but the court said in response to that, that that you have to have a really compelling reason in order to justify compelled speech, and that just seems to be lacking here. They also said that it was a big mistake to sort of not distinguish between public and private sector unions. Uh, in the public sector, the court said, if you look at all of these questions that the court, uh, or excuse me, that the, the unions are bargaining for, they all involve matters of public policy. They're all core issues related to the state's budget, related to how the state will handle its employees, related to the monies that will be available for other services and resources. And thus, the very nature of public sector bargaining is itself political. So these, these things really undermine uh, the reasoning in Abood. And indeed, in 2015, the Supreme Court actually granted cert on this very question, the, the question that's at issue in Janus, and that is, you know, whether Abood uh, should be overruled. Uh, they had oral argument in that case in 2015, and it revealed a deeply skeptical court of Abood. Justice Kennedy, frequently the swing justice, actually sort of uh, turned the union's free rider argument um, on its head. He said it's not that a non-member benefits from the union's work. It's actually that the non-member is a compelled rider rather than a free rider. They're compelled uh, to go along and subsidize the speech uh, rather than, than sort of a free rider who's relying on the union's efforts. Uh, the justices, again, consistent with the Harris case, had really uh, very little patience with the idea that collective bargaining is non-political. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts uh, noted that the allocation of public money is always a public uh, policy issue, and many of the other justices seem to agree. Now, after the case was argued, Justice Scalia passed away in February of that year, uh, of 2016, and so the court split 4-4 on the question and sent it back to the lower court. So this leaves us uh, with an open question in the current Janus case. It leaves us wondering whether Justice Gorsuch uh, will follow in the mold uh, of his predecessor, Justice Scalia. All indications are that he will on First Amendment questions like, his, like this one, uh, but we don't know, of course. Um, but I, I think another sort of signal as to how strong Janice's argument here is that one of the main arguments made by the unions in support of Abood is actually not about Abood at all or about um, sort of the rationale uh, for making non-members subsidize compelled speech, but rather it's a stare decisis argument. And this argument is the, sort of the idea that it's better that the law be settled then it'd be right. Uh, so since the boot's been on the books a long time, they argue, we should just leave well enough alone. Um, but I think the 2015 grant in Fredericks and the subsequent grant in Janus, uh, as well as the Harris case show that the court uh, is really suspicious, it's really skeptical of the Abu decision. And I wouldn't guess that stare decisis uh, would be an impediment. Um, it's never a silver bullet, especially in constitutional cases. And it looks like uh, several justices think it's wrong enough uh, and that the reliance issues are not strong enough uh, that they will uh, take up the question. And and you pronounce that term star stare decisis, is that right? 
That's correct. Yes. Okay. I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm putting that away for my next argument with my husband. So if there's something that's settled, <laughs> even if I'm not right, yes. I'm just gonna call yes. upon that. Doctor. Yes. That right? Yes. Exactly. Oh, man, I really. I, I like the. I like the compelled writer analogy as well. It sort of. Um, gives me a visual of somebody who's sort of stuck on a bus and they can't get off the bus, you know, so. Exactly. And they have to pay for the bus. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, this is, this is really helpful background and helpful, um, for me, I know I learned a lot. I can think about how to frame the, the Janus case and the oral argument that's coming up very soon. Again, those oral arguments that take place on February 26th. Um, and for all of our listeners, I just wanted to include a reminder that uh, we have an excellent legal brief by Aaron, Aaron Hawley, our legal fellow on IWF.org, and it's called The Janus Case, Public Union Dues. Uh, so if you want to learn more, please visit our website, download that legal brief. Uh, we'll continue to keep people updated with more content like this on the case and other important issues. Um, and we really appreciate Aaron joining us today. Thank you, Aaron. Um, and uh, for our listeners, we appreciate you tuning in. And uh, that's all for today's Working for Women podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.